0: Hi everyone. Welcome back for another episode, another podcast of EGOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today I have a very special guest. His name is Professor Goodsight. He is a professor of civil and environmental engineering. He is also a director at the Institute for Mineral and Energy Resources, an academic coordinator for mining and resources industry engagement priority, and also a research director and lead research partner at Copper Tomorrow. How are you doing, Dr. Goodsight?
1: Hello, Dr. Kernan, and hello, EGEOs, and thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. It's really a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. I know you've been really busy uh extremely busy based on your title. So thank you for taking the time to talk with us. And I know our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing the things that you have to say. So It's always a pleasure. Great. Yeah. So to start today, uh, let's go over a little bit of your background. So the first thing um, that we'd like to know is more about where you're from, where you grew up, and maybe something that influenced you while you were growing up.
1: Well, I'm from uh, Tucson, Arizona, and uh, I grew up back then with what was kind of the edge of town, Mm -hmm. and um, just this amazing desert all around me, uh, and um, I guess what kind of influenced me was uh, my parents' love of nature Mm -hmm. and getting us out in nature. and seeing how the world around us interacted with us as as humans, and all trying to do that in a better way. Um, they used to take me what they called rock hunting, mm-hmm. and um, it very quickly became um, a real love of mine. And, and I remember later in life, when I came back from Denmark, I was allowed two suitcases, and one of them was filled with rocks. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> They weren't anything special to anybody but me because it's not like they were—they were just Danish rocks, and I didn't have any Danish rocks, and I wanted them for back home. And um, I don't even think I was allowed past customs with them because they were rocks, and you know they had to have been treated or whatever. And um, you know, just just getting out and in, into the um, seeing this amazing nature, but also seeing the amazing things humans were doing to enable. Um, our our progress. And and those were, for example, the copper mines and the other mines we have in in Arizona. They were just huge. And seeing them in in school and and going out and seeing how important they were for society, um, that all had a real impact on my life. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm always amazed um, when I talk to people and I ask people that question, how many are influenced by their parents? And that's usually a key, a key influencer. That's really great. So could you please tell us a bit more about where you uh, went to school? What are your degrees and maybe a story about your career path?
1: Well, I'm sure it was. I I think my schooling was really um, influenced also by my personal relationships. Um, Growing up, I had a Rotary scholarship in high school to study in Japan mm-hmm. um, and then coming back home to Tucson my next-door neighbor was a um, high school exchange student from Denmark um, and uh, it, it inspired me that plus the fact that my mother was an AFS exchange student American field service exchange student to Germany to apply for uh, um, an AFS scholarship, and in AFS you kind of list your um, preferences, and and I think I listed Scandinavia as one because of, of, of meeting my neighbor at the time, and and I ended up going to Denmark, which was her home country, um, and uh, um, things ended up developing even after I returned back to the states, mm-hmm. and the. Uh, ended up getting married at age 20. Mm -hmm. Now, that was kind of important for my career path because um, I had decided that I wanted to serve my country and join the Army and see the world, and I wanted to go to West Point. But at West Point, you can't go to West Point and be married. Oh, my gosh. uh, But the Army said, no problem. Um, We'll give you this scholarship um, called the Department of Army Science and Engineering Scholarship and you just have to study science and engineering and and uh, but this, you can take it anywhere um, and, uh, and, and uh, we'll pay for whatever you need to get through university and I decided to stay in Arizona when it was convenient because of the support of my Parents, mm-hmm. but also because you know then my scholarship went as far as it as as it could because of being an in-state student, etc. Mm-hmm. And also because I was just you know the I thought the University of Arizona was a great place to study, and it is. Mm-hmm. So it still is, it's, and and it's a great university. And so I started studying nuclear engineering and types of energy that you didn't even think about back then and nuclear was important for arizona and i think still is important with the palo verde nuclear station um and the university of arizona had had like a uh, a trika reactor it's called t-r-i-g-a which was kind of a um a small nuclear reactor on campus to uh to enable nuclear engineering students to learn about um what was going on, um, and, and operations, and nuclear physics, et cetera. Um, I studied a lot of geology. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I, I ended up working as a geology tutor on the side, and um, and it was, it was just, again, getting back to kind of rock hunting. And kind of a fun story with that was um, when they were looking for geology tutors, one of the ways they they found out who was really interesting is they gave you like an egg carton, mm-hmm. and each each socket had like a sample rock they wanted you to get, mm-hmm. and the professor said, "Look, I'll hire the ones who come back with the appropriate samples um, as first, mm-hmm. because you know lots of interest, lots of people wanting the job." So because I've been rock hunting around Arizona most of my life, I had most of those rocks at home. I simply went home, got one of each, and went right back. And the professor was like, well, did you cheat? Did you go to the museum or something? And I said, <laughs> no, no, I grew up here. And I've been rock hunting, and I had it all at home. So I just took out a piece, and boom, that's how I got started as a geology tutor. Cool. So um, the, the Army asked me to major in civil engineering. Um, because nuclear engineering at the University of Arizona was being phased out, so I had to mm-hmm. choose something else.
0: Sure.
1: Um, but but I, I ended up kind of combining the two, because at the time there was, there was environmental engineering, but it was only as kind of a master's program. Okay. Or kind of like an advanced major. And I found myself asking questions about our water supply and such in Arizona, because it was really um, under under pressure. And I was using neutron activation analysis from the nuclear reactor to study that. And that's what I ended up doing for my bachelor degree. And I didn't think much of it later, um, studying metals in the the groundwater. Um, But when you look at my career path, Again, you think of how important my education was at the University of Arizona and the foundation for my future academic life. It was it was basically everything. It was like coming full circle when I did my doctorate. Mm-hmm. Um, so off I went, um, working for the Army, doing lots of exciting things there, and um, uh, very proudly had a chance to serve my country. Um, I... Um, with 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 uh, having our first child, um, I made a decision then to um, leave service and go into the reserves, and I was home um, on vacation with my with my wife. And and uh, um, fortuitously, uh, um, I was thinking about what do I want to do now. I thought about becoming a teacher like my mom, mm-hmm. and my father-in-law was like, "What?" you're an engineer. You know, this country needs tons of engineers. Um, you know, don't go back to school. You've got a kid to feed and, um, you yeah. know, just, just go, uh, go become an engineer. And it was funny. We were sitting at a restaurant and there was a manager of a local engineering company. And he's like, well, excuse me, are you like a, a, a civil engineer and can you do water studies? And I said, sure. And, and, um, so he said, well, when can you start? Mm-hmm. So off I went, um, working for a consultancy in Denmark, which got us there. Cool. Um, the local university um, needed a lecture because somebody was on maternal leave, mm-hmm. so I started lecturing. Um, and my work was good enough to let me um, let me off of work to do that. And then the university started a, a master's program in environmental engineering, mm-hmm. and I was the in the first class and the first graduate of that program. And um, I I found myself focused again on contaminants in the environment and specifically contaminants in remote environments trying Mm -hmm. to understand how they got there if there was no natural source or geogenic source of the contaminant. Sure. And um, I was presenting at like a Danish conference with a poster as students do. And a uh, professor came up to me um, and said, you should do your Ph.D. with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I hadn't considered that. And and I applied for a Danish national fellowship and was awarded. And off I went to study um, mercury deposition and flux in the Arctic, all around the Arctic. Uh It was so exciting. And I got to use my military experience to plan the field work. Um, uh, My experience from my master's degree when I was up in the Alps of Switzerland, uh, working in cold environments. It was super fun for somebody who grew up in Arizona and basically had never seen snow, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't snow so much in Denmark at all. All of a sudden, be in places where... We kind of convinced ourselves that we were the first humans who'd ever been there because mm-hmm. we were just kind of dropped off somewhere, and we had to to, to um, ski in or snowshoe in and and take samples in really remote, pristine areas, and then come back and and analyze them. And um, so, so if you if you think again about you know growing up and and all that time spent in nature. My parents, the Boy Scouts, and then even in the Army, you spend a lot of time outdoors, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you realize, and I know this sounds cheesy, but um, nature's speaking to us all the time, and somebody's got to try to interpret what it's saying to us, and, um, you know, I wasn't, I was just convinced that with good science, and, and, um, uh, solid interpretation, we could, my group, um, contaminants and remote atmospheres and, and environments could kind of become that voice of what was going on in the middle of nowhere yeah. so that we could better have a baseline of what was going on, um, for example, in cities.
0: Absolutely. And
1: um, yeah, later, from my leadership experience in the military, the universities started asking me to lead more and more. That led to a university asking me to earn my um, MBA degree, which mm-hmm. um, I chose to earn with their generous sponsorship uh, at Thunderbird School of Global Management, which mm-hmm. is also located um, in Arizona, but they had a global program where you're we traveling all around the world, another fantastic university. And after about 20 years in Denmark, um, doing lots of exciting things at the university um, with um, Danish public positions and in Danish companies. Um, I was attracted to a role here at the University of Adelaide. Um, A headhunter was actually looking at me for another role, but it was in Canberra, Mm -hmm. and we looked at a map, and uh, my, my, my family who visited arizona lots said well that kind of reminds us of arizona mm-hmm. um, And we're quite happy in denmark so maybe not and then the headhunter one day called back and said um well there's this position available at um university of adelaide leading the school of civil environmental and mining engineering mm-hmm. would you be interested mm-hmm. and off we went and those positions led from me leading that to leading the australian school of petroleum as an interim leader for um, their amazing leader, um, Catherine Amos, uh, started mm-hmm. um, and helping evolve that school to the Australian School of Petroleum and Energy Resources, which includes talented uh, staff like yourself mm-hmm. and uh, associated all around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. then with those successes, the university asked me to lead one of the research institutes, um, which is focused on the multi-annual, um, interdisciplinary, really uh, large research grants in this sector. And I'm just having a blast doing it and and tying it all together with my um, knowledge of environmental engineering and um, working together with staff and students to generate wins not only for ourselves but for the society around us. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and recently the university's asked me to chair its sustainability strategy steering committee, which again is just a super honor and a super task. And you know, it's 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 really amazing to just wake up in a place that's just beautiful. Um, the people are amazing and go to work every day doing something that um just Gives you energy, yeah, and um, or gives a person energy, and I'm I'm really fortunate with that. And uh, but I think it's been a lot of um, a lot of luck along the way in my career, and a lot of willingness to move, um, and a lot of willingness to um, <sighs> I, I guess kind of follow my heart and do something a little risky with my career rather than do. The same thing. Yeah. Like all my colleagues in Denmark were like, "Why are you giving up everything you built up in Denmark and going to Australia?" Mm-hmm. You know. And but but now we have all these amazing experiences here, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't have given up this opportunity for the world. It's simply the University of Adelaide is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And for any Geos people out there, um, come visit us sometime. You always have a home at IMA.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for walking us through your career path. You said some things that I found personally really interesting, and I was just wondering if I could ask you a bit more about it. So you mentioned that one of your roles right now is uh, a director of the Mining Institute. Could you tell us a little bit more about maybe something specific that you're working on? Um, I know earlier in a conversation you had mentioned that you have a bit of background in sustainable mining. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, I wouldn't say a background in sustainable mining, per se, but definitely a
1: background in environmental engineering. Mm-hmm. And um, we are leading at the Institute for Mineral and Energy Resources the uh, a, a bid for a cooperative research center, which is industry-led research. Mm -hmm. So it's research that industry stands together and says, this is what we need to do together. So kind of an open environment of research. And they pull together um, funding. And then if you're successful with a bid, um, uh, the federal government in Australia matches the funding pulled together. Mm -hmm. So you end up with maybe a 10-year research effort. Um, addressing uh, addressing some major issues that an industrial sector needs, and we looked around and we talked to industry, and um, we noted this this uh, uh, paradox that um, uh, the rapid deployment of clean energy technologies as part of an energy transition implies a significant increase in demand for minerals mm-hmm. some of those minerals um are are copper um, and copper is very important for the state of south australia
0: sure.
1: um and and uh and we asked um we asked industry is there something we can do together with you all mm-hmm. and you all means all the competitors standing yep. together and saying we'll put funding together to work on this and they said yes let's work on how to meet the demand of copper sustainably, because we we the companies have made um, environmental and social governments commitments, emissions commitments, and so there's a lot of research that can be done, innovative way to help them all meet these demands, and that's good for um, that's good for for the world, mm-hmm. um, and and good for all of us, uh, because. You know, I think we have to realize that that we need the copper. There's, for the green energy that we need, the copper needs to come from somewhere. Only a very small amount of it's going to come from recycling, because a lot of copper is tied up in infrastructure, yeah. such as buildings. A very, uh, a small amount is going to come from substitution, probably from aluminium, um, but otherwise we need... Uh, to, to find the copper to enable this transition to green energy. Yes. Um, in, in The CEO for Anglo-American said um, the society will not tolerate the way we operated before. And that was Ruben Fernandez, I'm quoting. Uh, and, and so copper companies, he's just one example, realize that we have to um, address the gap. And... Exploration, talking to egos, isn't going to help because, on average, it takes—and this is like a global average—16 years mm-hmm. to move mining projects from discovery to first production. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, even though there's there's uh, lots of of opportunity for more exploration, exploration right here and now is not going to help us make our our commitments in 2050, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I, the supply gap um, is going to continue to grow, and this isn't copper mining saying that this is the IEA, um, and uh, the executive director of the International Energy Agency, IEA, said. The data shows a looming mismatch between the world's strengthened climate ambitions and the availability of critical minerals that are essential to realizing those ambitions. Mm-hmm. That was from May 5th, 2021. And they consider copper as one of the critical minerals in their analysis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, the expansion of electricity networks that we need to get green energy, for example, from a, a windmill farm or a, a solar farm, into cities means copper demand for for power lines alone doubles by 2040. Wow! Yeah. Um, and and so you know the Cooperative Research Center we want to bring together industry, the uh, mining equipment, technology, and services companies and resources in a consortium to actually address the opportunity of developing mining and processing solutions that provide real step change in both economics and sustainability, um, mining, processing, and stewardship. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. at the same time, we want to develop a, a training and education program that develops kind of the leaders, um, Because I think companies are finding out that whereas before they had maybe one person working in sustainability, mm-hmm. and they maybe we're educated in communications or marketing, or maybe engineering, um, but probably not mining engineering. Um, how do we how do we train the leaders of the future for ESG um, issues, uh, and and how do we commercialize all these great ideas that are coming out of universities mm-hmm. to get them to market, so that we're sustainable in an even more Um, in a in a faster fashion Mm -hmm. and I guess Mm -hmm. lastly reflecting again on where I grew up and and mining companies a lot of times were seen as drivers of the issues that a lot of the a lot of the world's facing yeah Um, but I think we really have to own these as consumers that we're the ones Mm -hmm. driving Yes, and that the companies are actually part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And without the copper we need for our green energy sources, we're not going to meet our goals. So sustainably mining has to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not um, a mining engineer or a sustainable mining expert per se, but I am confident that the institute um, and and the team can stand together mm-hmm. and uh, together with industry lead some research over the next ten years if we're lucky enough to be awarded this grant um, next year to uh, to address issues that will benefit us all yeah. and the knowledge can be exported internationally mm-hmm. um, because mining is happens globally.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Um, I really appreciate everything that you said. I also have another question. I have seen um, that you are also working on, um, I believe, a hydrogen bid. Would you mind uh, talking a bit more about that and maybe your ideas behind working towards hydrogen?
1: Sure. So another one of the Cooperative Research Center bids we are working on is – Around hydrogen. And that bit is actually more challenging. Why? Because cooperative research centers are industry led. Mm-hmm. And for example, the um, with with respect to copper, uh, the International Copper Association, Australia, their chief executive is on our bid board, and you know, you kind of know who to call with hydrogen. Even if hydrogen was cheaper right now than Petrol, for example, Mm -hmm. there wouldn't be a lot of places to sell it, so the market's just not as mature. Yeah, Um, but but it's part of the energy mix of a modern energy system that has to be essential. Mm -hmm. And um, so, this is a bid where there's a lot of industry interest. Um, There's interest from the kind of the the hub and clusters around around the country. Um, And we're scoping it right now to determine um, what exactly can we do, what's the research need that industry should lead and stand together with consortium to address. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, the global demand for hydrogen has been forecast to increase to about 650 megatons by 2050. I mean, that's that's a lot. And for Australia, it means creating a global export market of about 300 billion Australian dollars per year. That's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity. Yeah. I'm sorry. So every Australian state has a hydrogen action plan, and we're kind of scoping those to figure out what's, what are the common things that we can stand together with industry to uh, describe. <coughs> and... Um, I think one of the things we want to help do is establish a corollary to the mining equipment, technology, and services sector called the hydrogen equipment and technology services sector. So what does research look like around that? Um, what research should we do done that's not already being done by existing cooperative research centers? For example, there's a cooperative research center working on Hydrogen into natural, natural gas lines. There's another one um, that's planning on doing research for underground storage of hydrogen. Uh, and um, uh, I, I, I think you know there's there's some there's some wins to be made, uh, but I think that we're still in kind of the the scoping areas as to how to make them. And it just shows that with a nascent industry, that's also needed. Um, <clears throat> how much effort and work it takes into putting a a compelling bid together and getting industry to actually fund their part. Because again, you don't have a bid to take to government unless industry commits to -hmm. funding um, over a certain number of years. So it's really exciting actually. And Mm -hmm. I think that there is still a lot of work to be done, um, for example, around um, underground storage or storage in general, yep. but I think we need to find which industry is willing to invest in that mm-hmm. together with, with, yeah, people who could be competitors um, for the good of everybody. And um, so that bit's much more nascent, mm-hmm. but it's um, we're, we're working with all three universities in South Australia right now to develop it, and um, that's fun too, because I love standing together on issues that are broader than any other university. And, with the copper for tomorrow, CRC, we're working very much together with um, University of South Australia and Curtin University, and, and just working together on important issues rather than competing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think that's important.
0: Absolutely, no, I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us today. I really appreciate your time, and thank you for talking about us with your. Your work that you've been doing, it's its really great, and it's a breath of fresh air to hear um, a sustainable focus and a collaborative focus. I really think that's the future, and I'm really happy to hear that other people also think that as well. So thank you very much. Well,
1: thank, no, thank you, and thank you for all you're doing and to everything all your listeners and EGOS are doing. You all have an important role to play. Mm -hmm. and um you're in a sector that that society absolutely needs for us to meet our sustainable goals Mm -hmm. and uh, again if if your pathways take you to the University of Adelaide um, or you'd otherwise like to just reach out feel free to um, it's it's a global effort so we need everybody around the world with expertise in this area pitching in and um, I'm happy to to work with whoever I can um, in in, uh, achieving these goals together. So thanks.
0: Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.